Thank you, Lord, that you are a glorious God. You dwell in inapproachable light. There is no other God like unto you, righteous God and Savior. And you have said, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Open up through your Holy Spirit our understanding of your divinely inspired word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to John chapter 10. And the section we're going to be dealing with tonight, verses 22 through verse 42. We saw last week that Jesus, as usual, he has his encounter with the Jews who are hostile towards him. And it's the confrontations are growing more and more intense. And Jesus in John 10 straightforward told them that these hirelings who do not enter by the door to the sheepfold but climb up some other way are thieves and robbers. And he, who he was thinking about were well, the Jews talking about, uh, especially the hand Sanhedrin. That's who he was talking about. And he quite plainly said, I am the door. I am the only door. If you're going to get into the sheepfold, I'm that only door. And my sheep hear my voice. Now, Jesus, having severely rebuked these Jews, we see that uh, if you look at the text there in John 10, 24, here's what they're saying to him. says, Jesus, just tell us plainly, are you the Christ or not? Just tell us. Now, look what Jesus' response was in verse 25. I've told you. He said, I've told you, but you don't believe. And my works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me that I am the Christ. So I've already told you, you just don't believe. Now we got to keep in mind the whole theme of John. Again, the theme of John is found in the, the end of the book, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, where it says, in many other signs, Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. But these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, that's the whole theme of the book. All of these miracles that we have seen from time to time, they're signs. The miracles are signs. And the miracle's purpose was to create a sense of awe. Like feeding 5,000 men along with women and children with five loaves of bread, two fish. Healing a person who's been lame from birth. Healing a man who's been blind all his life and healing him. All of these were miraculous and they were signs 
to do what? Create a situation where you just are all inspired as a sign to point to what? I'm the Messiah. That's the connection you need to make. I am that Messiah. So when they say, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. Well, I have told you. You just don't believe. They saw these miracles, but their response was absolutely horrendous. So when Jesus performed signs, notice when he did these signs is often in the context of preaching. So we see that with Jesus. We see that with the apostles after Jesus has ascended. And the miracles that the apostles were able to do in the name of Jesus were designed for one thing, to authenticate their message, to say, nobody else can do this, so you better listen to us because we come with the authority of God. We come with miracles. So Jesus said, my works testify to myself. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. We've looked at this passage before, but turn over to Matthew 11 and look at verses 1 through 6. This was, remember, John the Baptist had been thrown in prison by Herod. And John the Baptist sends his disciples up to Jesus and ask him the question. Now, now when, uh, verse 2, now when John in prison heard of the word, the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleaned, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now we noted when we were in that, we've seen also earlier in John that the best way to understand that, that John was not doubting who Jesus was. After all, remember God spoke audibly to John the Baptist. This is my beloved son whom you're about to baptize. Listen to him. John knew that. We said the emphasis was, remember John said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And there was a jealousy or envy of John's disciples about what was going on with Jesus. So John wants to make that transition for his disciples to understand who Jesus is and to start following Jesus. So the signs, these miracles are for one purpose. I am the Messiah because when the Messiah comes, he's going to do all these things. By the way, that's a quote out of Isaiah 35. It's a quote out of Isaiah 61 as well. So here's the thing. The Jews should have made that connection, but they didn't. And Jesus, for example, I mean, Jesus did a miraculous thing with regard to the woman at the well. Do you remember that incident where he informs that uh, Samaritan woman uh, her whole past history? So there was only one way he could have known that. 
And that imp- remember, that impressed that woman to no end. She goes back to the village and says, here's a man who has told me everything about who I was and who I am. And then that caused the, uh, the village to come out. Because she said to them, is he the Messiah? And Jesus plainly said to the Samaritan woman, I am that person. I am that Messiah. She makes the connection. The people in the Samaritan village, they make the connection. But the Jews, they don't make the connection. We see in John 9 when Jesus healed that blind man from birth. He makes the connection. But did the Jews, did the Sanhedrin? No. You think about that blind man for again, uh, again for a moment. Here is somebody who had never seen anything his whole life. And you, wouldn't you rejoice with someone that all of a sudden you can see for the first time? Incredible. That didn't impress the Jews. They were upset. Well, you have the audacity to heal somebody, do a work on the Sabbath. And then they, then they drill this guy and excommunicate him from the temple. They didn't care. They didn't see. They knew these, that something amazing had been done. It did not impact them whatsoever. So why did the Jews not make the connection? Well, Jesus gives us the answer again. Look at verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. That's why you don't believe. Now, we've already commented, the sheep, who are the sheep? The elect of God. That's who the sheep are. They're not the goats. They're the sheep. And remember, John, uh, Jesus had just been, just been saying, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. They don't follow anybody else, but they'll follow the shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And when you hear my voice, my sheep will follow me. You don't follow me because you're not my sheep. Remember uh, Jesus said in John 6, 37 and 40, he says, my father has granted some to me and those whom the father has granted me shall come to me and he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. And, And so Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice, the shepherd, and my sheep will follow me. Remember Jesus, when um, there, we, we commented in John chapter 8 that there were those who said they believed in Jesus, believed something about Jesus, but then he goes on to tell them uh, they're not really the children of Abraham that they say they are. No, he says, your, uh, your father is the devil. We what? Yeah, you're trying to kill me. You believe something about me, but you don't believe me in a saving sense because you're not my sheep. And so Jesus has, has said, he who is of God, in John eight forty seven. there, remember Jesus says, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Now, the reason the non-elect, 
the goats don't hear is because they're in bondage to sin. They are a slave to their sin nature. They are a slave to the devil, as the scripture says. They have no, under, no capacity to understand. Because we got to remember this. If you understand something accurately, spiritually about the Bible, it's because it was revealed to you. Not because you were able to logically figure it out as such. It is revealed. Remember, biblical truth is revealed truth. Remember what when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Peter said, no, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven. Biblical truth must be revealed. And therefore, the, the elect of God, they hear the voice of Jesus. And at some point, he, Jesus, the good shepherd, will search them out and will find them and bring them to himself. Again, this is, this is um, really a vitally important thing to understand in any kind of evangelistic efforts or you're talking with family members who may not be unbelievers. Here's what we got to come to realize. And I finally uh, realized after years later, I used to get distraught with somebody just didn't get it. Why, why can't you see what is so obvious about Jesus? And then realize people don't get it because they're not the sheep, at least at this point. Now, we don't know who the sheep are and the goats. Someone was saying at the lunch table today uh, a statement from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says, I would have liked it if, uh, if God had put some big uh, stripe down the back of all the elects so it would save me time. <laughs> no, you, we don't know who the elect are. Who would have guessed that Saul of Tarsus would become the apostle to the Gentile world? But the reason people do not get it yet is because they, they're still blinded. Remember, the scripture says that the Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving in, in 2 Corinthians 4, that they might not see the light of the gospel. That's why men don't see, because Satan has blinded them. You know, Acts 13, 48 is a key passage because it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life, that's election, believe. The elect will believe at some point. Absolutely, without a doubt, God will bring them to himself. So when these Jews were saying, tell us plainly if you're the Christ, well, one thing, they had a wrong view of the Messiah to begin with. Remember when Jesus uh, did his miracle of feeding the 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish, that they, they recognized that he was an extraordinary person, a prophet of some sense, and they wanted to seize him. They wanted to kidnap, kidnap him. Oh, imagine kidnapping the Son of God, how well that would go over. And they tried to do that. Because they, they had this view, 
And here was the problem that the Jewish leadership had. They had a wrong view of the Messiah. They did not understand that the Messiah would have to be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 before he's the exalted King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what they failed to see. So Jesus, yes, Jesus is now the, is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, uh, exercising authority over men. You know, that's key. Turn with me over to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, look at verses one through three. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. Now, we know that Jesus, by the way, that is the passage that Peter quoted on the day, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, saying Jesus' ascension is a fulfillment of that passage. And notice it says, rule in the midst of my enemies, thy people, who's thy people? will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. Well, thy people are the sheep, are they not? Thy people are the ones that the Father has granted to the Son. What did Jesus say? I am the good shepherd, and my sheep will hear my voice, and they will follow me. In other words, they will volunteer freely in the day of my power. So, you know, one of the sad realities of of a theological perspective that is unbiblical and that it meaning I'm referring to Arminian theology over against, I, I hate the word, you know, Again, Calvin would be just beside himself if he knew a whole theological system was named after him. But Arminianism over against Calvinism, you know, one of the one of the hallmarks of Arminian theology is a lack of assurance in salvation. That's that's part of that theological view. Many people don't realize that the five points of Calvinism that came up at the Synod of Dort in 1619 were actually a response to the five points of Arminius. That's what, but it's the, it's what what the world remembers is what the response to the Arminian theology. And Arminian theology believes you can lose your salvation. I'll never, uh, and, and again, this is the importance of sound doctrine. I remember in my first uh, pastorate in Coburn, Virginia, when my mother-in-law was in the hospital and we didn't know why she went in there at the age of 51. uh, She was in ICU and she'll never recover. She'll die at the age of 51. 
So I'm in there in the uh, ICU with, because of my mother-in-law being in the ICU. And I was in the waiting room, and there was this young lady, probably in her 20s, who was so distraught over her grandmother, who was in ICU in bad shape. And here's what she was distraught over. And it, she was talking to, I don't know what relative next to her, but I had to finally engage because she says, I don't know if grandmother, if, if she doesn't have come to consciousness and, and repent of her sins, she'll be lost. And I, I had to engage. I said, did your grandmother, excuse me, I said, I, I can't help but over here, and I happen to be a pastor. Is your grandmother a believer? I said, well, yeah. I says, then you, you're concerned that if she doesn't consciously ask for forgiveness that day, then she could be lost forever. I tried to help her out because she was being tormented with the thought that her grandmother might be lost. I remember an extended family member once saying, um, he said, I hope, because they were the same theological perspective. I mean, godly Christians in many ways, but he was of the perspective, I hope I don't have a fight with my wife and I don't have a chance to ask Jesus to forgive me that night and I die that night. I thought, really? You're going to be lost forever because you didn't have the opportunity to ask for forgiveness because of a fight you had with your wife? You know, I had a preacher one time tell me um, that, well, let me mention this. Look, the reason I bring all this up, look at verse 28 and 29 because that is teaching another wonderful doctrine. It says, um, and I give eternal life to them, verse 28, and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, that is the biblical doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Or some have put it, once saved, always saved. An Armenian preacher once told me personally, he says, well, John, I, I believe that, no, yeah, no one can take us out of, of Jesus's hands or the Father's hands, but you can take yourself out. I go, hold on, wait, wait a minute. I thought I'm in part of those Noah, <laughs> okay? You're telling me I can take myself out of Jesus's hand. Where is that taught in the scripture? Well, it's definitely not taught here. And Philippians 1.6 is a great passage. It says, and this is, his conf our, this is our confidence, that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Lord Jesus. Will complete it. Not maybe, will complete it. You know, it's, it, it's important to distinguish between what we call free will and, and, and autonomous will. An autonomous will is 
a, a self-will that is absolute. Now, the scripture talks about we make free decisions. We have a chapter, as I've said before, we have a chapter in the confession of free will. But there's a difference in of a free will, me, me making legitimate choices and an autonomous will that God couldn't ever do anything about it because of my will. No, no one can take uh, us out of, of Jesus' hands or the Father's hands, but I can take myself out. That's an autonomous will. That is not a biblical perspective. In my first pastor, I remember I had a, uh, a officiating at a funeral with, with another pastor because there was a link between the two congregations, and he was a, a free will Baptist preacher. And he, uh, we'd met on other occasions. We got along pretty well. We were riding together. He had to ask me this question. He was just dying to ask this question. He says, John, you guys believe in once saved, always saved. I said, yeah. He says, then what about those who deny the faith? I had just two words. I said, well, noon. I said, they were never saved. I was, that was it. That's, that was, that's it. They were never saved. Because if you're saved, what will happen? You will persevere to the end. Nobody can snatch them out. Now, we can't ourselves because he has brought us to himself. We've heard his voice and we follow him. You know, here's one thing. While that erroneous theology um, doesn't mean that person is not a Christian. We got to be careful that we don't think Arminians are lost because there are some Calvinists who are lost. <laughs> Just because we cognitively understand certain things does it mean that we're bearing fruit into salvation? And so what we see here, one, in other words, we don't have to be consciously of a perspective um, about our theology, for, for example. Had, uh, my wife had a very godly aunt who... Theologically, was she was in that other camp, but she prayed in a way that was, that's a Calvinist. I, I, I'd always chuckled with her. I said, you know, I said, Aunt so-and-so, you, you actually believe that God's in control, otherwise you wouldn't have prayed that way. And she didn't refute that. You know, John, also, if you take a look at John 10, verse 30, Not only did uh, Jesus talk about this great doctrine of <clears throat> the perseverance of the saints, that you're protected, he says, I and my Father are one. Now, he's not just talking about here one in purpose with the Father. While that is true, that is not ultimately what he was getting at. And you know why? He's not uh, getting... That's not the only thing that um, he was referring to, that you're one of purpose, he says, 
It's the response of the Jews in verse 31 that gives it away. What it, it says, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They're going to stone him because he said, I and my father are one. Why would they want to stone him for that kind of statement? And look what Jesus said in verse 32. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Now, that, that is one thing they did understand and, and made a connection. The moment Jesus said, I and my Father are one, they go, hold on. We know what you're saying. Remember in John 8 when he says, uh, Abraham rejoiced to see my day? And they said, wait a minute. You're not even 15 years old. How can you say he uh, rejoiced to see your day? Before Abraham was, I am. They, go, they went to get the stones because they knew exactly what he meant. You're identifying yourself with Jehovah, Yahweh of Exodus 3. That's blasphemy. You know, here's the thing. If Jesus was not who he claimed to be, then the Jews were correct in going to go get stones to stone him. Because here's what Leviticus 24, 16 says out of the law of God. Leviticus 24, 16 says, and he that blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. See, that's the point. They knew that was a, to them, it was a blasphemous statement unless he really was who he was claiming to be. But they just couldn't accept that. There's no way this man can be the Messiah. So John 10, 30 is one of the great texts in all of the word of God on the deity of Jesus Christ, his divinity. I remember years ago, one day I was at the house and one of my sons was at the house and the Jehovah's Witnesses came by and the, and the son let him in and was talking to him. <laughs> Probably gave them the idea that maybe they could be converted. Of course, the son knew that there was a problem with Jehovah's Witnesses. He said, once you come back another day when my father's here, he'll be glad to talk to you. <laughs> so one day I was in there studying and here's a knock on the door. They'd come back. Oh, thanks a lot. You've invited, oh, I invited them in. And as we got talking, I said, I'll just cut to the chase. Here's the problem I have with you. I said, the fundamental problem I have with you is you deny the deity of Christ. You do not believe he is the divine son of God. Then they had all sorts of indications of what he is. I said, Open, let, me, let me show you. I opened the Bible, read out of John 10. 
Well, he doesn't really mean that. So what did it say? Why did they want to stone him? Because they said, you making yourself out to be God is why we're trying to stone you. Here's the thing. Not only do Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ, the Mormons deny the deity of Christ. Most of the cults deny the deity of Christ. Of course, non-Christian religions, they'll deny the deity of Christ. Here's the thing. We're talking about being a genuine Christian. A person cannot be a genuine Christian, Christian unless they confess that Jesus is divine. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. Turn over to John, 1 John 2. We've looked at this passage before, but it is significant. 1 John chapter 2. And look at, well... Verse 18 and following. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out. Now, who's they? Well, the Antichrists. They went out from us, but were not really, were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it may be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Well, what do they know? Verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, because no lies are the truth. Who is the liar? Verse 22. But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. You've got to believe that Jesus is divine. And guess what? I don't care. You, haven't, you don't have to be a Christian for very long and then for the Holy Spirit to teach you that truth. I've told you my conversion in the past who did not know the Bible at all, when, when the Lord saved me, you didn't have to convince me of the integrity of Genesis 1. I just immediately accepted it and knew it because that's what the Bible says. And guess what? You didn't have to tell me that Jesus was divine when I read it because the Holy Spirit was illumining my mind. And I was a very immature babe in Christ at the best, but at least I knew that. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ. By the way, this, uh, the, this doctrine of the, the divinity of Christ, who he is in his humanity, uh, the apex of Christological doctrine, meaning the doctrine of who Christ is, the apex of that doctrine was the council of Chalcedon in 451 AD, which, by the way, is why this church that we're a part of is named Chalcedon. That is the reason behind it. Well, what was, what was so significant about the Council of Chalcedon? 
Well, it was there that they uh, put together and said this. There are, in Jesus, there are two natures, two distinct natures. There is a divine nature and then there is a human nature. Two distinct. They're not mixed up. And there are two distinct natures in one person forever. That was the summary of the Council of Chalcedon. There was not a mixture of the two natures. Uh, There were not two persons like some had been teaching. Uh, There was not a mixture of the two. Uh, No, they're distinct. And there's only one person, Jesus. He is totally divine. At the same time, he is fully human. Now, if you take a look, turn back to John 10. If you look at verses 34 through 36, you might be kind of, it could be easily be confused at what is meant here. Look what it says. Jesus answered them. Now, they remember, which work are you killing me over? It's not a work. It's because you, a man claiming to be God. Okay. Jesus says in verse 34, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the son of God. Now, what, what, is, what law is Jesus referring to here? Actually, it's out of the law of Moses. It's actually Exodus twenty-two, twenty-eight, And he blends that in with Psalm 82, verse 6. Now, here's what Exodus 22, 8 says, or 28 Thou shalt not revile the gods nor curse the ruler of thy people. Who's being called a God here? The civil ruler is being called a God. Psalm 82, 6 says, I have said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. If you look at Psalm 82, the whole context is God's condemnation of the civil judges for abusing the people of God. So here's Jesus' argument to him. Why are you upset that I, because I'm doing the works of the Father, claim to be the Son of God, when in your own scriptures, you are used to referring to civil rulers as gods. Now, why are they, did they refer to them as gods? What is, the, what is the purpose of a civil ruler, a biblical civil ruler, but to render justice, right? Justice. Civil rulers are agents of God to carry out God's justice. In fact, um, is that not what Paul said? If, you, if we 
look over it in uh, Romans 13. Paul says this about civil government. Well, verse four, uh, well, verse three, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it, meaning the civil ruler, is a minister of God. That's that word diakonos, where we get the word deacon. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it, meaning the civil ruler, is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. So in the Old Testament, civil rulers were referred to as gods because they were to rule according to the law of God. Now, and so in this regard, Jesus says, if, look, if you, if, if you don't believe me of what I'm saying about myself, at least believe the works. Notice if you turn back to John 10, that's what he says here. Verse uh, 37 and following. If I do the works of my father, if I don't do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may understand, know and understand the father is in me and I in the work. At least acknowledge that what I'm doing is amazing and that I actually am from God after all and I'm actually the son of God, which is why I can do what I'm doing. But they just didn't believe, did they? Why again? Because they're not not his sheep. You're not of God. That's why you don't believe. Verse um, 39 here, it says, therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. You know how many times it says he eluded their grasp or he, he just kind of filtered his way out? Remember what the Bible said, why that's the case? Because it says it was not his hour yet. It wasn't time for him to be delivered up to the Jews. And that's why he would elude them. When he finally was betrayed, remember by Judas, that's when Jesus says, I was with you in the temple, but you didn't do nothing. But today, now the power of darkness has been given to you. So go ahead and arrest me. Verse 40, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there. And many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So there there, there you have it. The difference, the purpose of the sign, the miracles 
were that they were signs pointing to men that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God, really and truly. And all the works that he was doing demonstrate that. And that's why John says at the end of his book, he says, these things, many more signs Jesus did, that by seeing these signs, you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so there were, you, you had this distinction between groups of people. Some, they both saw the same thing, but some says, let's kill him. Others said, he really is the Messiah. Let's believe in him. But that's, that's the way it's always going to be. It's the way it's always going to be. You know, when Paul was preaching to the great city of Athens, to the uh, philosophers, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, neither that, those school of philosophers believed that men rose from the dead. And guess what did, what did Paul come to do? He came preaching Jesus risen from the dead, and they just about laughed him out of the Areopagus, saying, who is this pseudo-philosopher? That's what they called him, a pseudo-philosopher. What they called him was a babbler, but a babbler meant a pseudo-philosopher. And then Jesus preached, I mean, uh, Paul preached to them, Jesus risen from the dead. So what was the response? Some said, you're crazy. Others said, you know, this is interesting. We'll hear you another day. And others believed in him. But that's the way it's going to always be. That's the way it's always going to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is truly the Christ, the son of the living God. We thank you, Jesus that you saved us. We thank you that you searched us out when we were that lost sheep. We thank you that your Holy Spirit, whom you sent, regenerated our heart, that your Holy Spirit, whom you sent, opened our ears to hear and our eyes to see. And we will always be grateful. We thank you in your precious name. Amen.